This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read X Heroes by Peter Kleins and Mick read Matthew Riley's Area 7. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here back again with one book gotten from our local library and another book gotten from our local bookstore. Yeah, we own this now. Yeah, it's great. We paid good money for this. The best money. The best money that money can buy. Uh, We are trying a new thing where we're actually holding the microphone, so if it's incredibly loud, I'm sorry, but I don't think that'll be the problem. No, I think the previous problem is that it's always been too quiet, and we never really thought about just holding the microphone closer to us, which seems like a pretty obvious solution. Well, it would if we had like a microphone that had a handle, but instead I'm holding this desktop microphone uh, by one of its legs. Uh, So we'll see how this goes. I mean, don't ruin the magic for the listeners. They all think that we're recording. They're all. They all think that we're recording in a very high tech studio instead of on our living room couch. Yeah, I've got my swinging microphone and all that dog claws on the floor. You've heard (laughs) have been fully work. Um, but. I promised a book that I did not deliver. I have since delivered that book, but in order to have Susan read the How the Duke Stole Christmas or something like that, uh, I had to order it off of a real store from Amazon, and so therefore it took a while to get here. So while we were waiting for How the Duke Stole Christmas, know, I'm book. pretty sure it's called, uh, while we were waiting for that to arrive, we went up, I went to the library, picked out Area 7 for Mick, and then we had gone to our favorite local bookstore called Prairie Lights to pick up a copy of Ivanhoe, which we are reading for a book club. And Mick found me X Heroes, which is probably on the, the furthest away edge of the spectrum as you can get from Ivanhoe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm about to tell you about Area 7. Uh, I was a re- We were originally looking for the second Witcher book, and I saw that one, and the cover was kind of interesting. And then I picked it up and said, oh, that sounds really dumb, and then started walking away. And then went, wait a minute. We I'm, have we have a thing that we do with uh, dumb books. I have a dumb book podcast. So I went back and got it. And hopefully it lived up to its uh, my first blush. So I feel like your your first impression when you looked at the title and saw the cover and you were like, oh, it's kind of interesting. I'm like, there are parts of this that are actually really interesting. Um, and then there are parts of it that are kind of dumb and bad, but it's it was, it was a good pick for for Bibliovile. I want to read what I think you may have been uh, thinking of when you first decided that this book might be bad, and that is one of the blurbs on the back. Zombies? Check. Superheroes? Check. Awesome? Check. X-Heroes has it all. You're in for a treat. And on the front, the blurb is from... Did you ever read Ready Player One? Of course not. Okay. Do you know anything about Ready Player One? I don't. I just know that it was like the dude bro book for a while. No, not dude bro. The nerds are the ner- finally the winning nerd culture. Yeah. Uh, I know everything about Ready Player One, as is my want to know things of stuff I didn't actually consume. It is just... Uh, what if we made What if we made the whole book out of references? It has absolutely no original thoughts of its own. Uh, it's just references to things that people like and have. So. That's annoying. Well, the author of Ready Player One has a blurb on the front of this book, and it says, 
The Avengers meets The Walking Dead. See, no original thoughts. With a large order of epic served on the side. Yeah. And I know that's your favorite thing. Yarts. <laughs> More like an epic fail. Uh, what Did was, you know, by what the was the other line in your book last time? I couldn't, I, even. I couldn't even. My ability to even had been severely compromised. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that high schoolers are forgetting that the word failure uh, is a thing? They just say fail. It was a fail. That's really disappointing. Nah, there's plenty of more to be disappointed by our nation's youth. So, Well, there's more to be disappointed by in this book, too. So this book, in this book, superheroes are real. There are a couple dozen of them in the U.S. Um, several of them are concentrated in Los Angeles, which like, is where our book takes place. Are we talking like Batman superheroes or like super-powered superheroes? Super-powered superheroes. It happened oh. in a variety of different ways. We get to hear from like three or four of them their essentially origin story. Um, the first character that we meet, it, he goes by St. George the Mighty Dragon. What? Or just the Mighty Dragon for St. short. St. George slays dragons. I know. But his first name was George, so I think that might have had something to do with it. So now he's St. George the Mighty Dragon. Um, Is this his, the guy in the cover? With his his old name. Yeah, this guy in the cover. Um, his previous name was George Bailey, just like It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> and he was in a freak explosion. And after recovering from this explosion, because he was subjected to some type of radioactive fumes or something he turns into the mighty dragon so he can fly he is super strong he's superman basically he has all of superman's powers can you hold this so that i can read the book it's a a regular joker tub of acid that just sort of jokerifies the joker without really any explanation as to why this tub of acid did that thing yeah basically but the the point of this book is not really the origin story of the superheroes, but what they are living through in the current moment, which we'll get to in just a second here. So um, reading an excerpt of the origin story of St. George the Mighty Dragon, the part that I thought was really funny is that in all of their origin stories, one of the biggest things they talk about was how they got their costumes. And so here's from St. George. The last detail was the costume. The ski suit from Sports Chalet, 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 was already silkscreened to look like red scales, and the gauntlets and boots were all black. The mask was two or three different things from Party City mashed together, enough so I wouldn't be looking at a copyright lawsuit. I had to reinforce the Halloween cape with the folding arms from a pair of umbrellas, which worked pretty well, all things considered. The idea was to increase my hang time, as it were. Not all of us own a multi-billion dollar company with an R&D lab in the basement. Ooh, throwing shade, (laughs) Batman. So it was actually, like, that kind of stuff was pretty funny. There was a lot of, like, legitimate humor in this that I did enjoy. There were some fun little quippy lines. Um, But the main conflict of this book, as you can guess from the cover, uh, which has zombies and an apocalyptic looking setting, is that we're in the apocalypse and there are zombies. Ah. They don't call them zombies. They call them ex-humans. Um, and the sur- that explains ex-heroes, a then. group of survivors has banded together in what used to be the Paramount Studios complex. Um, and they've turned that into like... Everyone is living there. That's sort of their fortress and their stronghold. They will send teams of superheroes and like normal people who are heavily armed into the neighborhoods. And their goal is to kill the ex-humans, find any survivors if there are any, 
and then also go through every house or apartment or whatever for supplies and food because they're like all of the groceries have been ransacked at this point like they're really just looking for supplies so that they can kind of keep going um so we're in the apocalypse one other funny line that i enjoyed people could say a lot of negative things about the apocalypse but there was no arguing that the air quality in la had really improved (laughs) how droll i know hey you gotta take what you can get in these books um one of the heroes the superheroes was known as the regenerator and basically anytime he got hurt he healed instantly so he like if he got shot it would heal right away um he like chopped off fingers and they grew back right away um he also figured out at some point that he could use his powers to heal others so he could send that like regenerate power into other people mm. and heal other people. A reverse rogue. But unfortunately, he was bitten and he was bitten on the arm and all of his powers are currently going to keeping the virus down in his hand. So he basically has a dead hand that's still attached um, and all of his powers are going to keeping him from turning. And so he can't heal anybody right now. What I want to know is why chop wouldn't he just chop it off and yeah. then it would regrow? Yeah. But that's never addressed. Um, but in terms of like plot holes, this podcast has ruined me because stuff like that, I'm like, well, at least the character was consistent with the names. Like the <laughs> author was consistent with character <laughs> names. Like, yeah, he could have just chopped off his arm and grown it back, but at least she didn't have two different names for one main character. So, Did any old men flip off our superheroes? Um, they are kind of mad at the superheroes at some point because the the people, the normal people, are scared, obviously, and they think that the superheroes are going to abandon them. They're like, why would you stay when you could just leave L.A.? And they're scared. So there's some anger, but I love they're that. not just flipping Fa- them off for no Father reason. John Misty lyric. Why would you stay when you could just leave L.A.? Mm, yeah. I mean, the air quality is better now, though. So... How droll. How droll. Um, There's a superhero named Gorgon. Gorgon. Gorgon, like Medusa. Who can hypnotize people with his eyes. His eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, gender flipping the uh, Medusa. Well, it's because all only only boys are superheroes. Only Star Wars can be superheroes. Only Star Wars can be Star Wars. Um, let's see. When we talk about Gorgon's origin story, wearing spandex or bright colors wasn't my thing, though. There's so much more practical stuff you can get when the agency you work for represents celebrities. The body armor? It's a gift for Colin. He's playing a SWAT cop and wants to get used to the weight. I know it's bending the rules. Thanks so much. Reinforced leather duster? Hey, you know who, you know who has a weird fetish. What can I say? Storage locker under an assumed name? Ms. Lohan has some things she'd like to keep out of sight, but doesn't want to get rid of. Your discretion is appreciated. Thanks. Custom motorcycle helmet, military-style utility harness, Kevlar gauntlets. People hand you stuff so they can tell their friends someone famous touched it. So, like, he worked for a... He was, like, an agent for a celebrity company and got this all this... Gorgon? Yeah, this is Gorgon. Oh, okay. I uh, thought it was going to start describing Gorgon. Oh, no, this was how he got So, his. does the, the perspective flop around? Yeah. So, uh. we go back and forth between then and now. All of the now is told in third person present. All of the then is told from the perspective of different superheroes in first person present. What's it with present tense? I hate it so much. 
Why does nobody write in past tense anymore? Mm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pearl. Things happened. I know. No, they they didn't happen. They're happening. No, you wrote the book. They're happening. Um, when are we going to get a second person future tense? I will find you a book in second person future tense. I bet you will. It'll be some experimental <laughs> Polish <laughs> novella. Um, I like will. that you said, I bet you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's another superhero. I think this is the one that bothers me the most because it's a dumb concept and it's never really explained. His name is Zap. With three Z's at the beginning. More like Z because I fell asleep. Aww. What? Am I doing that part of a job? No, talking the about the book. book. It's in present <laughs> tense. Um, so Zap can go into an energy state. Mm. And he... Let's Is see. that just like cocaine? Well, that's kind of what it how he's written when i'm in the energy state i have no physical form i'm just a big ball of raging electromagnetic energy given shape and motion by my force of will and consciousness in simpler terms although it's not as accurate i'm a very tiny g-class star that can think that doesn't really make any sense and i don't understand it but he just kind of like buzzes around. He can apparently get back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast in seconds. And so when the apocalypse first hits, he's he's going back and forth between Manhattan and L.A. before Manhattan falls and they just give up on it. Um, so at this point in the book, the only two cities that they know of that are still in existence are L.A. and D.C. Uh, and D.C., good. I'm glad we saved the lanyards. Um, mm-hmm. Got to save those politicians. The author does know that the star is not made of, or the sun is not made of electricity, right? No, I don't think the author does know that. All right, because it's it's nuclear fission, and not buzzy electricity. But okay. Um, Gorgon has a girlfriend in the then section, so in the past, has a girlfriend who's also a superhero named Bonsai. Um, she is a seventeen-year-old Korean woman. Uh- <laughs> And bonsai is a Japanese word that is mentioned. Um, okay. And he is like a 35-year-old white dude. Ah, what a weeboo. And so they are dating and they are being superheroes and doing superhero-y things together. Um, she is keeping him secret from her parents because they don't know that she's a superhero and they don't ever want her dating a white guy. So from her perspective, I grabbed him and kissed him hard. At least I didn't have to tell my folks that part of my secret life. By the way, mom and dad, I have a ran- I have random stress-relieving sex with another hero. The one called Gorgon with the goggles. He's 20... Oh, I'm sorry. He's 29 white. He took my virginity when I was 17. And Gross. we have to do it doggy style most of the time to protect me from his eyes. I guess you could say we're dating. That whole paragraph is gross. Very gross. But also I saw another paragraph that was kind of gross. Okay. As I was looking over your shoulder. And that paragraph is vault, flip, split kick, bounce, snap, bounce, snap, bounce, snap. Yeah. Okay. That's how she moves. (laughs) Just. Yeah. Words. Yep. Just words. 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 We just throw throw a lot. Yeah. Up at the top. Swing, launch, bounce, flip kick, snap. Great. Just constantly, all the time. 
kick, backflip, crouch, sweep, lunge, springboard, snap. Flip up to the fire escape. That sucks. I know, it's very annoying. Um, All Asian women are described as bitchy. And the races of almost every single person are pointed out unless they're white. (laughs) So that's just a thing. But yeah, anytime someone is... Like, anytime a character is described as being Asian, it was, or, and, and a woman, it's that bitchy looking Asian woman. Like, every single time. It's really weird. There are no other adjectives that are that consistently prescribed to any of the other races. Well, it's just, they have to stop being so shrill. I know. They really do. Um, they're just being really, like, overbearing but you have and to, nagging. You have to admit, they're really exotic. Mm, yeah. Uh huh. And articulate. I can understand. Oh, and articulate, too. You're right. Um, really, really well-spoken. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the other big problem in this book is that there's a gang called the Seventeens that also has a collection of survivors that are up in the hills, and they decide they're going to attack the Paramount because they want to kill the superheroes. It's never really understood why they want to kill the superheroes, but they do. Um, one of the – or they're one of the Seventeens – keeps describing their leader as PZ and they can't figure out what that stands for until they realize that it stands for patient zero. Ah. So the leader of the 17s was one of like the first person to be infected with the outbreak. His name is Rodney Casares um, and he has learned how to mind control the other exes. So he can be like their, their, um, their headquarters I guess you would call it is up by the Hollywood sign so wait the zombies are sentient no they're not but he can control like he can mind control them and basically use them as puppets so he is so he he well he's not an (coughs) ex-hero or an ex-human you said he was the first one to get infected but he well hmm then maybe he is a sentient that one's not really (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't act like any of the other ex-humans. Mm, zombies, yeah. But apparently he must be. Are you going to sneeze again? I usually sneeze three times, okay. so we'll see. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Sorry that I sneezed on you, Finn. I'm holding the microphone. He seems really upset about it. Look at his squishy face. Yeah. Um. So he mind controls the ex-humans... They try to attack the Paramount. They wind up winning the battle. And it is discovered that the person who started the plague that has taken out the whole world was Regenerator. What? It's the big twist. So Regenerator's wife was killed in an accident. He went and got her body from the hospital and he tried to bring her back. And in trying to bring her back, he made her a zombie. And then she attacked a group of gang members, one of whom was Rodney Casares. That typical gang name, gang member name, Rodney. Rodney. It's no bone golem, but we'll take it. I know. There can o- there's only room for one Rodney in Bibliophile. Um, and so that is how we kind of set ourselves up for the next book. Mm. This is a, I believe, five-part series, unless there's more coming. The other titles include Expatriates, Excommunication, Ex-Purgatory, and Exile, except Exile is spelled E X 
I-S-L-E. Ah, they go to an island. I will say that on the Also by Peter Klein's page, it yeah. has the same pull quote as the front page does. I know. They're really proud of that one, I think. Um, In their battles in the Paramount, are, there, are they doing battle on, like, sets? And so they're like... So they're doing battles on the walls in the Paramount. I felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities if you're going to set your book yeah. in the Paramount complex. Like, you're really missing a lot of opportunity here. He threw me through the wall and suddenly I was back in Bayside High School. Yeah. 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 Um, one, so at the very end, they try to make it profound and they try to make the whole thing have a lot of meaning. Fart. So... Basically, the folks, the superheroes and the other folks that are in the Paramount Studios, which they call the Mount, um, they defeat the Seventeens. All of the survivors that had been in shelter with the Seventeens come to live in the Paramount. They take over another movie studio. They're, like, increasing their their ground, whatever. And one of the superheroes, sort of the, the HBIC, her name is Stealth, um, she says, I believe we can have the majority of the city's survivors there in four to six weeks. With a few simple questions and reviews, we should be able to create a balanced and optimum population. Doctors, teachers, engineers, and others who will have the most long-term usefulness. I believe we can then prepare, and then St. George the Mighty Dragon cuts her off. No. It was a moment of clarity, one of the first ones I'd had in several weeks of hard decisions and acceptable losses. If we do this, if you want my help with it, it isn't some stupid selection process where we pick and choose a few hundred who we decide are worth it. We can just save everyone we can. And they go into this conversation about whether they try to save everyone or they do selective torture and murder or whatever. And they try to make it, well, I mean, I kind of torture to leave a bunch of survivors up to be murdered by zombies no one consider that torture that's abandonment abandonment i do like the uh the rejection of means testing that somehow that you have to be worthy of being saved but also i like how doctors labeled first makes sense yeah teachers second like it's not really that hard <laughs> you know there's books <laughs> like, yeah Teachers also, are not like, the number two thing you should probably be saving in the also, apocalypse. Also, is anyone having kids? Are there any kids left? Yeah, that like, need teaching. Yeah, I'd rather save you know like you know professors or artists of some sort mm-hmm. to pass down culture, history, and culture. To Only re- the right kind of culture. Man. Yeah, fourth wave ska. <laughs> pick it up! Pick it up! Pick it up! Pick it up! Um, I don't want to pick it up. I want to put it down. I want to put this book down. I'm so droll after reading this book. But unfortunately, we own this book now. Mm. It it wasn't bad. I mean, it could. I have read books that were worse. Trust me. Um, I do. But it was just not. I don't know. Not my fave. It's a good bibliophile pick, though. Thank you. Tell me about Area 7. You... We're having a lot of feelings while you were reading this book, and I am really excited to hear about it. Speaking of a good bibliovile book, uh, Area 7 really just goes for it. This is by Matthew Riley. It is a sequel um, from a different book that obviously I didn't read, Ice (laughs) Station. Oh, there's more. Yeah. uh, This is his only sequel, uh, Ice Station has Shane Scarecrow Schofield, uh, 
Uh, that's how you'd say that, right? Schofield, yeah. not Schofield? Yeah, Schofield. Okay. Uh, and he's back in Area 7. And I thought this was going to be like a Tom Clancy sort of ripoff. Mm-hmm. But it very much is not Tom Clancy. It's very Call of Duty instead. Like they Call Can Duty. Can you tell me how those things are different? Like Tom Clancy at least uh, tends to be like political intrigue and like spying, uh-huh. especially when he was actually alive and writing the books that had his name on it, which he's not anymore, even though the books come out with his name still on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Call of Duty and like Michael Bay oh, is all about like flips okay. through the air and yeah. stuff like that. And it's very much more Michael uh, Michael Bay Call of Duty. Although, very oddly, I couldn't stop picturing it as a movie or a video game because there's very much like levels. Uh, and... There's a strong element of Half-Life 1 in here. And I know you've never played that before. No. But the the setting is that of a secret government lab, which is very, very close to Half-Life 1. Because you're basically the entire game takes place of you trying to leave the secret lab. Uh, which is, it, it was really cool of a game. And this book is... is also really cool? No. <laughs> is itself so much... It's a little kid playing with action figures, and he's just making the noises like "bam!" Just, I'm dying. Flip, backflip, uh, jump. No, pounce. luckily, uh, <laughs> and it is. It just goes ham, like ham. Yeah. It goes real ham, crazy nuts. Go insane. The only thing that you would tell me as you were reading it was. Wow, this book just goes for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be able to cover everything that happened because there's so much that I legitimately, despite the fact that I took four pages of notes, I can't remember everything. I'm going to explain it to you like this. At one point, our main character is landing a space shuttle uh, where he has the bad guys in the back and a different set of bad guys in a helicopter. And the, I got the bad guys in the back. Duh. Um... <laughs> I know that is a different song you're singing, but uh, a different set of bad guys in the helicopter that are about to explode the space shuttle. So he sends the president out of the cockpit of the space shuttle with a little boy, uh, roots around in the survival kit that's in the cockpit of the space shuttle, finds a rocket launcher in that survival kit, hits the eject seat on the space shuttle. You know how space shuttles have ejection seats? Yeah. Flies through the hole in the roof that the ejection seat uh, creates. And as he reaches the tip of his parabola uh, of his ejection seat before he starts coming back down, uh, while the helicopter shoots the missile at the space shuttle and explodes it, uh, while he's like hits the tip before, he, before his parachute opens, he shoots a rocket at the uh, helicopter and shoots it down and then parachutes down to the ground. You know that gif of the white guy just blinking with his eyebrows sort of raised? Yes. That's me right now. I'm glad you managed to use a Twitter gif (laughs) in real life. Um, So this book, Shane Schofield is a Marine. uh, He was in the Marine Recon, I believe, uh, which is like the creme de la creme of the Marines. Was he with Kildar? No. No. uh, throughout this book, he uses multiple weapons, which is pretty like a gun, you know, point and click, and also uh, uh, the rocket launcher, aforementioned rocket launcher. He also uh, flies a helicopter, drives like five different kinds of, of car, whether they are real, like actual cars or not, like a Humvee and stuff, and a, a towing vehicle, uh, drives a fake train, 
like a train that doesn't actually exist, flies a uh, space shuttle, uh, does all sorts of different stuff, and it's just, oh, a boat, uh, and it's just treated like, of course he knows how to do this, you know, uh, when most people don't. It's what mainly men do. I don't think they train uh, Marines to do all that stuff. Uh, usually there's a division of labor. <laughs> but uh, the plot of this book is that Shane Schofield was in the Marine Recon and did some things in Antarctica because there's supposedly a crashed, crashed alien spaceship. Uh, it doesn't. It's never actually explained if aliens were there or not, but there's a rumored alien spaceship. So he gets well, sent there. Well, you have there. to read the first book, Mike. Why I don't guess. you read the first book? He gets, uh, gets there, and there's some... Uh, I think I wrote it down. Hold on. He finds that he dealt with two foreign militaries and his own set of infiltrators. Uh, and he manages to make it out alive. And so since his existence proves that the, the Marines or whatever didn't do a great job or that they had been infiltrated or something, he gets not kicked out of the army, but uh, reassigned to Marine One, which is the president's helicopter. Yeah. So he is now sort of kind of a presidential bodyguard, except that's like the Secret Service. But he like while, as this book explains it, while the president is on Marine One, it's the Marines who protect him. And while he's on the everything else, it's the mm. Secret Service. So that seems a little too convenient. Yeah. Um, so the president Does is the Air Force also protect him when he's on Air Force One. I don't know, <laughs> but we'll find out why that's an important question. Uh, for reasons, the president is exploring and visiting uh, numerous secret bases in the Cal Colorado Plains, the Colorado Mojave. Um and we start at Area 8, and we're leaving Area 8 and going over to Area 7, you know, like Area 51. Mm -hmm. This is just like one-eighth of that. Okay. Um, and so <laughs> it's a secret underground bunker that housed NORAD. <laughs> oh, no. You're okay, buddy. Did you just want to be on the recording, too? Huh? Finn also had some opinions about Area 7. So it used to hold NORAD, which is... It's hard to tell in this book what's, like real versus what's plausible versus what's just stupid sometimes uh so area seven used to hold norad which is a real thing and what's norad norad is the north radar air division or something like that it basically watches over all the radar in north america and <laughs> makes sure that nothing is happening they okay. track santa every year <laughs> because the military industrial complex wants to be friendly <laughs> Um, I am, I am so lost in the weeds on this book. We need to go faster if we're going to get done in under an hour. So he's, he's there. He's with the president. Uh, the president's being shown around. Uh, what is happening in area seven is the, uh, is the biological division. And they have taken, uh, multiple death row prisoners and are experimenting on them with, uh, uh, nerve gases and then oh, trying to find antidotes God. and it's written off as like well they deserved it it's like no they're but people. they didn't like yeah. I, you know you can tell me that they're serial killers and whatever but medical experiments on prisoners is morally wrong uh anyway that's way too philosophically complex for this book that is just a child smashing uh uh action Army figures together, yeah. Yeah. So they get off Marine One and the president goes for a tour while the Marines are just sort of standing around and we know it's happening thanks to both the prologue and the intro. It has both. <laughs> uh, Aren't those basically the same thing? Yeah. Just like uh, Lord, not Laura Lee, Lori Foster uh, yeah. had one recently. Um, or what? No, it was Laura Lee. Who did the weird It was cat? Laura Lee, I no. think. I'm going to delete this part. 
Who wrote the one about the Jaguars? That was Laura Lee, wasn't it? Maybe it was. Okay, Laura Lee. Just like Laura Lee did with the Jaguar Christmas cat sex book. Um, I don't know why people think that they need both of them. But anyway, we know it's a bad thing. There's an Air Force colonel who dies in the prologue uh, by lethal injection for uh, assassinating two high-ranking generals in the Air Force or, like, having them killed. And it's brought back from a lethal injection by defibrillator paddles. Okay, I need every single bibliophile author to sit down with an EMT and learn what defibrillator later paddles are. And how to pronounce it. <laughs> pronounce it. Uh, this is the third book where someone has died and been resurrected with defibrillator paddles. A tool to stop your heart, not to start it. When they died, like the woman that died in childbirth and was shocked back to life, and the woman who, or the man who bled out <laughs> and was defibbed back to life, like, yes. that's not how any of this works. Well, you know that you only die when your your brain stops getting oxygen, so he, the general had before his... Uh, uh, lethal injection he had hyper oxygenated bioengineered blood uh put into his body so he could survive being dead anyway that's also not how any of this works anyway scarecrow is named scarecrow because he has eye scars that are vertical over his eyes which i never got like a good read on what that would actually look like i think maybe from like eyebrow to eyelid like lower eyelid i yeah. guess uh who wears reflective wraparound sunglasses which i'm sure is supposed to look cool but i kept imagining them as like the small welding goggles like this as opposed to like the actual face thing i keep i i'm picturing like transition lenses <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> it is discovered that there are 14 nuclear weapons at 14 different major city airports and these nuclear weapons are type 240 blast plasma and oh, that, that sounds serious. And that's one of the things that I was like, is this a real thing or is that just a serious set of words? Uh, so the the plots to this book that we find out after shit starts going sideways in Area 7 is that the present, while undergoing a routine kidney stone or gallbladder thing, I don't know, uh, also had a transmitter implanted in his heart. Uh, and... It's hooked up to a satellite that is hooked up to these 14 nuclear weapons. And if the president's heart stops beating, then these nuclear weapons will explode. Uh, the Air Force general is rebelling against these corrupt civilian politicians. He's trying to do a coup. So he gets the president, his security detail, and these Marines into Area 7, shuts the door, and is like, Okay, America, we're gonna uh, have a, you know, I'm gonna show you just how corrupt this is. My... Air Force commandos that I have on this base are going to try and kill the president. If if we succeed and the president dies, then these nuclear weapons go off. And so that they're just going to have, like, but if he wins, then he proved his useful. I'm like, what? What the fuck? You want to do a coup? Just kidnap him and shoot him. Like, why do you need the nuclear weapons? Whatever. Why do you, yeah. Why so, did you need to put a transmitter in his heart? Like, this seems like. Yeah. And Whatever. then they kidnap the guy who carries the nuclear football. And so the president has to put his palm onto the suitcase that will blow up all the basically launch all the nukes in America has uh, every 90 minutes. And so it's, there's like this weird gamification of a coup attempt. Uh, and so basically the plot becomes Schofield and his his crack team 
of Marine One in their dress uniforms managed to escape the initial onslaught that the security, the social, not social, Secret Service uh, does not. And begin like skulking around John McClane style, die hard around this this base, uh, killing Air Force commandos and whatnot. Okay, I don't have time to go into everything, but uh, these Air Force commandos are all white except for several Asian men because this Air Force crack team, special teams, crack specials, team crack, uh, has infiltrated a Chinese plant and stolen the Sinovirus, a virus that will kill anyone who does not have certain genetic Asiatic uh, markers. Uh, and so that's why America had to work so hard to do all this biological testing is because they need to protect uh, non-Asian populations from this virus that the Chinese made up. Hmm, that sounds a little uh They do this with xenophobic. a they do this with a uh bioengineered child who might be psychic. Um <laughs> what? They make a child uh, like a test tube baby and they genetically engineer his blood to create the antidote to this thing for white people. And if you get injected with it then apparently you have like the minimum amount of Asian genes to resist this cenovirus. Okay. Sinovirus, I suppose. Sinovirus, sino, whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of mystery science theater cuts where we're cutting from person to person all the time. Uh, it's it's really bad. Uh, his crack team is him, Shane Schofield, uh, Libby Grant, I believe, the woman he wants to date despite being her commanding officer, and it's not oh, treated as the grossness that that yeah. is. Uh, mother, who is like this six foot tall, 250 pound lady with a fake leg. And the reason that she has a fake leg, which is like fakey fake bullshit, like, oh, it has a gyroscope computer on it. And so it acts like a real leg. Like, why'd you chop the leg off if you're just going to put it back? Uh, but the reason she has a fake leg is because, uh, the villain from the last book dipped her into a tub of hungry orcas and one of them bit her leg off. Uh, we meet another character, Book Two, who is, the, I am not shitting you, the son of Book One. No, uh, that's yeah. the name? Yeah, well, it's just, like his nickname. Everyone goes by call signs. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that like the infantry does not have call signs. They have like nicknames. Like pilots have call yeah. signs. Anyway, uh, so Book Two, uh, the sequel to Book One, oh my quite God. literally, uh, Book One was a member of Showfield's crack team. Oh, I'm sorry, Scarecrow's crack team in the previous book but book one died when he was dropped into a tub of hungry orcas, orcas and was eaten oh, no. uh, oh no you shouldn't be laughing the, no, he's fake no. he's a fake person uh the president that they are protecting this entire time goes unnamed the entire time uh it is just the president mm. always he never gets a name but it's very clearly a sort of george bush uh or like bill clinton slash george w mashup like he's he's uh, a little bit portly. He's got like a he's white, wrinkled face and gray hair. So it's kind of like I was picturing uh, a a slightly more athletic uh, Bill Clinton. Okay. The entire time this was published in the early two thousands, I think two thousand one. Which woof the story of uh, political intrigue and terrorist threats against the president really probably did not age well super f- quickly after that. Yeah. Um, which brings me to one of my major questions. How could a, a military boner book be about the dangers of command, the dangers of a conspiracy in the military, 
and still be like, yeah, but this dude fucking kicks ass, though. Like, how can you not be writing a story about how dangerous blind... Uh, following? Blindly following orders. How dangerous that can be when the guy giving the orders goes crazy and still be like, yeah, but the military fucking kicks ass, though. And it's just like, that's the problem with the whole thing. I like, feel the like Air the Force answer has, to your question is lack of self-awareness and reflection. The The whole thing about this is that the fact that the Air Force colonel or general or, you know, the Napoleon, he his call sign in the mm-hmm. Air Force, because generals also get call signs, no. uh, is Caesar, right? Like the, the you know, yeah. great, great subtext um, right me, there. It's pronounced Kaiser. Kaiser. Uh, and so... It's like, well, the Air Force has the best opportunity to do a coup because they have all the nuclear weapons and all the bombers. And if even only 10% of the Air Force revolts, then they can launch, you know, all the the missiles and bomb the other bases and be the only... If it's a very specific 10%, maybe. Which it is, of course. Uh, So anyway, this manages to be like, yeah, the military is terrible and only the military can stop it. And it's like, who will watch the Watchmen? Well, the Watchmen, duh, you know? Uh, So... I don't even know how to start going into the meat of this book. That's like the first 40 pages, 50 pages. Oh, Jesus. Um, you know, it's going to be Michael Bay because the character at one point says, we have to find the president. <laughs> uh, little I'm boy. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. There were a lot of, I don't think that's Michael Bay, but uh, <laughs> there were a lot of notes that I made with question marks, such as little boy who grows vaccines in him. Uh, and then later up at the top, also the boy is psychic. Uh, kind of it's never really called off okay this book goes crazy go nuts in kind of a fun nonsense way like it's supposed to be like bam zoom ah! and so it never takes itself Backlit seriously pumps. like no it writes the things except it writes in italics and exclamation points sometimes oh, no. he pointed a gun right at his face and oh, it's in no, italics and exc- right his yeah. face. um there are, to my count, one, two, three, four, five different sort of uh, factions facing off in this book. Six if you count the bears. Okay. The bears? <laughs> yes. There are wild animals in this book. Are they shifters? No, they're just bears that were being used for their, their aggression science mumbledy gooks because the uh the reason that these commandos are so crack team special forces crack team crack, crack uh, team is because they've been being injected with like steroids and they get the steroids out of the bears so there's bears in cages in this base why is everything happening in this base because plot yeah so if you count the bears there's seven here are the different factions the marines the are shane Schofield, the secret service okay. who at the beginning you're kind of like Ugh, nerds or like jocks or whatever to the other guys but they get along Okay, so those two are in, in cahoots. They work together to protect the president. The president. There are there is one Secret Service agent who makes it through, and uh, three Marines die. Okay. The first two Marines to die. The only two Black Marines in this book. Of course. <laughs> anyway, uh, then we get the bad Air Force. So like the Air Force, the bad parts, the ten percent, the yeah, the the crack team, crack. Caesar, Air Force, uh, 7th Infantry or whatever. Um, excuse me, Kaiser. <laughs> then we get uh, a South African uh, ethno-nation set of mercenaries. That was not what I was expecting was going to be next, who but break okay. into this base on just happens to be the same day. <laughs> <laughs> because plot. Because plot. Uh, to steal the Sinovirus, to adapt it to uh, f- uh, only affect anybody who's not black. Or no, 
only affect black people because the organization which in Africans or whatever wants to basically re-ethnostate all of Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're going to kill all the black people in Africa so that they can have a workforce. It's like, bud, you kill all the black yeah. people in Africa, you don't you don't have slaves anymore. Like yeah. that just economically, your own plan doesn't make sense. And also is evil. Well, evil, of yeah. course, yes, but it's supposed to be evil. It's not supposed to be dumb. Yeah. Then, of course, we get the double bad Air Force, the Echo Team from this crack team, crack special forces, which double crosses Caesar to steal the kid and the Cenovirus back to China. Uh, and so they double cross, double crack. Uh, and so we get them fighting each other for a little bit. Uh, also at this base are the aforementioned criminals being used for this uh, nerve gas testing, mm-hmm, which get released. Which is totally legal. Which, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, the government doesn't tell you everything. Also, isn't the government fucking cool? So cool, Once bro. again, the, the thing. So the criminals in this uh, base who are being used for the testing uh, get let out when the power goes out because apparently the only thing locking the doors was electricity. That seems like a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. Like, yeah, anyone who put any thought into that or had ever watched a movie would know that that well, was a bad idea. Well, this is a movie, so um, well, it's a book technically speaking, but it should be a movie. I'd watch it. I would legit watch this movie, and it would make for a great. Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. This is a perfect bibliophile book. Um, so the criminals in the testing center get let out when the power goes out, which is, of course, when all the lights in this underground bunker go off. Mm-hmm. So it's very that moment in the movie when the light and then you can hear the yelling of the prisoners as they get free. Mm. Yeah. So and then there's bears who also get out and occasionally just sort of pop up to remind you that they're there. They don't kill anyone. Oh, there's Komodo dragons, too. I forgot about that. Are the bears sentient? No, they're just bears. Okay. There's a mama, a papa, and several cubs, and they want they uh, amble off and survive the nuclear explosion. Good for them. There's a nuclear explosion? <laughs> Your verbal double takes are wonderful this episode. <laughs> uh, so there's fights going on and sneaking through air vents and come out to the coast, we'll have a good time, like all of that sort of thing. Uh, at one point they drive an airplane around and push people off the feet with the jets cause they're, they're in the bunker, which is big enough to drive it around. Uh, but not enough to like take off, obviously. Uh, Wait, they're driving a jet in a bunker. Yeah. They're just like taxiing, but the engines are it's going hard enough. Big to, ass bunker. It is a big ass bunker. It's multiple levels. There's pictures, which is kind of funny because <gasps> the pictures, uh, restart each time. Oh yeah. Uh, we get to a new chapter. Uh, at one point somebody accidentally blows up the, uh, bunkers like, water supply because this is supposed to be like in the case of a soviet invasion we can hide out here for a while okay uh which i'll get to later uh and so when they pop the like thousand gallon water tank it starts flooding the lower levels and so the pictures in later chapters have like the flooded level okay that's actually pretty funny yeah yeah and so then they like crash a plane it's all kind of claustrophobic in a way so like yeah. he i'm showing sue this is great on a podcast but here's like the water level yeah uh and they crash a plane down the gigantic central shaft elevator and then like that plane's wreckage comes back six or seven times like they reuse that set piece like it is very uh geographically consistent i suppose okay. is a way of putting it like they go to the same places and see yeah. the same things each time and what they do this time matters later because they come back to it so it's pretty cool so there's um, internal consistency, oh, but yeah, that consistency of, is batshit. It's bonkers, yeah. yeah. So it's pretty fun. Uh, South Africans want a genocide. Uh, you got the double Secret Service rogue unit. Uh, the power's out. The prisoners get free. Uh, 
at one point, so they remember I, I told you they need to put the president's hand on the thing. They steal yeah. the enemy's uniforms and sneak the president into like the bad guy's camp so he can put his hand on it surreptitiously okay. and then dips out, which is like, why didn't you if, shoot Take a bunch? Well, it was bolted to the ground. Oh. But like, why didn't you shoot a bunch of them? Also, like, if you're doing a coup, do the coup. Why yeah. do you like, why are you like, oh, we got us on this one. Fair play. Yeah. Really got us like... You, I hate him, but you got to respect the hustle. Yeah. It's stupid. Uh, and another time they're, they're running, they've got like 30 seconds left and they, I don't know if this is, I can't imagine this is a real thing. They uh, really turned off falling damage in this book. People fall like 30, 40 feet. And if they're not a bad guy, they're fine. No, that's not a thing. Uh, and so they invented this mag hook, a grappling hook that uses a magnet instead of any actual hooks. And it's used to access like nine or ten or yeah. fifteen times the mag hook is the thing that the Chekhov's gun got it for once Chekhov's uh, grappling gun uh, at one point they need to get to the, the president to the nuclear football but the president has crossed this big pit and the uh, nuclear football is on the other side and he needs to put his palm on it and so instead of doing what they thought they were going to do which was throw the metal case of the suitcase and mag hook it back up each side mag hooks to the something in the ceiling and then the president and shane schofield both tarzan vine their way into the middle oh, and just barely are able to reach that the president puts his hand on it as they reach the the end of their arc and begin swinging back the other direction again which is ridiculous <laughs> and i love it that would make actually i think a really good b-movie scene oh yeah, yeah. this is full of b-movie scenes uh after he gets that last president or the nuclear football thing the prisoners get him by a shotgun because the prison had shotguns to keep down the prisoners i guess but they didn't lock them at all so that when the prisoners get out they have shotguns yeah they also make torches out of stuff i don't know where they got well, the materials in for torches you make torches out of coal, coal and, and wood. wood yeah but i don't know where they got them <laughs> um and so now the prisoners are running the show uh they kick different groups down into the elevator pit with the boeing uh the crashed plane in it that they were driving around, they drove it into the the pit, uh, and so now it's like this battle arena, and all the the, the prisoners are on top cheering. Uh, where's I going with this? Oh yeah, and so the Marines start winning, obviously, uh, in hand to hand combat against the these crack team crack uh, special forces guys, and then one of the special forces commanders has a grenade made out of this virus and none of them have the antidote, and none of them are are agent except for one of the secret service people and so uh oh he's gonna do it and he throws the 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 cenovirus grenade and somebody just Whoa. swings a piece of pipe and baseball hits it out of the pit and it lands amongst the prince prisoners and kills all but two and the reason Aww. two of them well they're the bad guys they're the prisoners they deserve it uh, and the reason that two of them live is because uh they're they Asian? were the no they were the <laughs> that would have been better but no they were the ones being tested on uh and so they are immune oh okay um, and so that's like the uh, guy who tried to assassinate the president and is written as this like gothic grim skinny man and then giant hulking dude with a metal plate in his forehead. So the typical pair of criminals. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. The, ba- the bears are loose. Uh, we're in space now. Um, as we're getting going with this book, the, the back plot to who this Caesar guy is and what he wants to do about it is that you may not believe this, Susan, but in the armed forces... And other sort of uh, combat-focused groups, there happen to be uh, racists. What? 
I know. And so oh, these racists form mildly secret societies what? to promote other people of their race. Uh, and this guy, Caesar, was the head of like the racist part in the uh, Air Force. And so like some sort of white supremacy. Yeah, I know. In the government. Can you believe it? Hmm. Also, it mentions that even the LAPD was suspected to have uh, racist. <laughs> Not the LAPD. <laughs> Yeah. Um. So the whole plot of this book basically is that the the general is trying, or the secret plot is that the general is not actually trying to take over America. He's trying to basically destroy the Union and start a new Confederacy. And he needs that virus so that he can take or have it over the heads of blacks in America, just like the South Africans wanted to. Oh, I forgot to mention the South Africans die in a boat chase uh, after they steal Kevin, the little boy who grows the the antidotes. Uh, and so. Schofield is chasing the South Africans and so are the Air Force crack team crack people. Uh, and it's a whole thing. They, the helicopter that Schofield manages to steal by riding under it in a boat using his mag hook like uh, uh, Luke in uh, Empire Strikes Back with the AT-80, the AT-80 uh, goes up into the like up into it pops out a hatch from the bottom of the helicopter a thing that definitely exists and like takes over the helicopter and kicks the other guys out then intentionally gets himself shot down or not so intentionally but as he's sinking oh no we're gonna run out of air the air pocket holds and once you know it that this takes place in a lake that was filled into a canyon which is apparently a real place i looked it up and there was a, a gas station that they just sort of flooded as they dammed the canyon. Uh, and so they swim over to the gas station and use the, like, tire pumping air hose uh, to <laughs> to survive off of until the Air Force crack team crack leaves because they figure they drown. And it's like, you know how air pumps work? They take in air. Yeah. Compress it. And then, like, <laughs> it's not just stored <laughs> up air. Uh, Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, he survives and they leave through a mine. And uh, so the South Africans are dead, but the, the crack team crack remains. And then they, the crack team crack starts killing each other. And so the bad, evil, evil guys, the double evil guys are going to steal Kevin away from the South Africans, which they do. They put him on the train over to Area 8. And in Area 8 is the experimental new fighter shuttle. It's mm. not just a space shuttle. It's like supposed to be for space combat, a real space force uh, mm-hmm. prognostication. And so this takes pl- this shuttle launches off the back of a 747. And we drive down Fast and Furious style a runway. They get on the 747. Him and the president. I don't know why he took the president with him, but he did. <laughs> him and the president climb onto the 747. Uh, luckily, everyone else is in the shuttle and they only have to take care of the two pilots. And the ship is, the 747 is on autopilot, so they can't just not fly it to space. Uh, then they climb up into the shuttle, but they're wearing the astronaut helmet so no one can see them. So they go to space. <laughs> no! Yeah, because, because the double evil air force agents are or air force crack team crack uh are gonna rendezvous with a brand new chinese shuttle that had launched a week ago get that's how they're getting out of america with the virus because if they actually try to like fly out of america they get shot down or whatever so they went up to space they did go to space today they did go to space today um and so then shane with his his face uh, covered by the astronaut helmet, takes the little boy into the cockpit. And so everyone's like, oh, you're showing the kid around. That's nice. 
and then shuts the door behind him and, and basically rips out the life support of the guy who's flying the space shuttle until he, he promises to show him how to fly it back in. The president holds his arms behind his back. <laughs> Can you imagine Bill Clinton like yeah. holding arms as a Marine punches a guy <laughs> in the stomach, basically? Uh, and so they fly the shuttle back down. The aforementioned ejection seat lawn- rocket launcher into the helicopter scene ensues. Uh, the president and the little boy escape. Uh, but then it turns out that Caesar has put a transmitter into his own heart. And if he dies, the nuclear weapons explode too. So they can't kill him either. So, uh, Libby Grant figures out a way that they can replicate the transmitter signal, uh, using the original crash planes black box. Uh, and so they turn it on just as he's about to shoot Schofield and Schofield shoots him and everyone survives. Uh, well no actually no no one survives uh of the bad guys and then it's time for libby grant and schofield to get out of area seven because the self-destruct the self-destruct sequence has been initiated and so they get back on this fake train that goes at 100 uh 250 miles an hour out of the nuclear blast zone uh and it's done This entire time, the villain was making speeches about, like, this is what's happening. I'm taking over the country. But it turns out that during the initial firefight, they accidentally blew up the transmitter box that sent the signal. And so he was just talking only to the facility. Okay, that's really funny. That's pretty funny. And so it's like, yeah, the big news of the day was actually that this actress got trapped in this ski chalet in Switzerland. And so no one knows that this happened. And that's how it's going to stay. It's like... A nuke went off in Colorado. I'm pretty sure people are going to figure that sure out. I'm pretty sure people are going to yeah. find out at least about the earthquake. Uh, and so Shane and his team get a secret medal of honor, which I, I can't imagine. You can't wear it or tell people about it. Good medal. Yeah. Uh, and Libby Grant and Schofield go on a date in the president's private dining room in the, the White House. Uh, and Shane basically adopts the little kid. The end. Was there any room for dialogue in this book? I feel like there was so much action. Uh, yeah, there there was dialogue, and it was, was it done over good? like wrist mics. It was fine. Yeah. I did like that it was uh, and saw another helicopter, and another is in uh, italics. italics. Uh, there was not as many as much like bam, poo, pow thing that you would think, uh, but there was a lot of narration with exclamation points, mm. which is great. The end of the book, Susan, I've never seen this before, is a quote-unquote interview with the author. You mean like after the like actual book part ends, after they have the an book, interview with the author? Yeah, after the book part ends, uh, there's an interview with the author, and it's very clearly not an interview. He's just sort of talking. Talking about some stuff. So the an interview with Matthew Riley on the writing of Area 7. Here are the questions. How did you come up with the idea for Area 7? What was it like to write a sequel? So to you, how does Area 7 add to the experience of Ice Station? Why did you choose to set Area 7 in the... It's like, buddy, you can just write a message if you want. No one's asking you these questions. No. You're asking you yeah. these questions. <laughs> it's like I've never seen that before. But at one point someone complains that they killed off book one in the previous thing and they didn't have time for a character development. And he's like, some people say that I kill people off too fast to have any character development. I write about action. And if character development gets in the way of the action, then say goodbye to character development. He doesn't have room for character development. He There's doesn't. too much stuff happening I'm in this book. I'm exhausted. This book was intense. It was yeah. dumb. It was pretty fun because I what? Uh, I would love to see a movie about it, but it was, it was insane. <laughs> 
I love it. Yeah. This is a good bibliophile I forgot to mention that at one point when he's fighting the last serial killer that has been on the loose this entire time, uh, he gets pushed back into a tank of Komodo dragons. And he manages... Did they bite his leg off? No, he manages to survive because this book treats Komodo dragons the way a James Bond movie treats piranhas. Yeah. Like they would immediately start (laughs) feeding frenzy on him if he fell into water next to them. But he manages to keep them away because the little boy Kevin at the beginning of the book upon first meeting him tells him that uh, reptiles are driven away by strong magnetic forces. So he uses his mag hook underwater to keep them away from him. Why that didn't attach him to the door that he later opens and escapes from, I don't know. Um, (laughs) And then he kicks that serial killer that was uh, dunked him. He kicks him right back into the same water. And before untying Libby Grant, who has been taken captive by this serial killer, he smooches her on the lips. And Ooh, it's like, sexy. Uh, I think he may even ask her on a date. It's like, hey, but can you untie her and then save yeah. the world first? So Can we worry about your boner later? Please. Ugh. Anyway, that was area seven. I give it a seven out of 17. Uh, <laughs> a seven out of 51 get it because the areas uh but yeah that's gonna do it for this week of bibliovile as i teased last weekend week and uh last episode i've already gotten sue's it did come in the mail so i'm gonna go grab it as she vamps i am gonna go to the library tomorrow and i'm gonna pick out a book for mick that is hopefully as good as this sex romance mashup that we have here um, it is called How the Dukes Stole Christmas. It is by, we've had a Tessa Dare yeah. book before, haven't we? I think that's the one that, that got us here. Um, no, it was Joanna Shoop. We've had definitely a Shoop. No, this was in uh, the Magical Christmas Cat book. Um, oh. So it's a Christmas compilation of bodice ripper Avon romances. So instead of having magical cats, you have uh, you know longing glances and boners underneath pantaloons. This book has uh, a woman who looks like Megan Trainer on the cover. Yeah, she does. Uh, who is wearing, admittedly, a better dress than most of these books put people in, mm-hmm. uh, which usually looks like... A lot like, of boob. Yeah. A lot of top boob. Yeah, which is the, the most overrated part of the boob. <laughs> There's a lot of dukes in here. Yeah, like, put them up. Yeah. <laughs> How the Duke Stole Christmas by Megan Trainer. <laughs> I'm all about those dukes. Thanks, about those Mick. dukes. No barons. So excited to read this. So one. excited to read it. So we will see you next time as we read this. Uh, my name is Ben and continues to be uh, Michael Dickinson. When you said my name has has been, I thought you said my name is Ben and my name's continues ben. to be. Yeah, it's <laughs> I ben. said, is it? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Bibliovile. Uh, it's currently displayed, so I'm not going to spell it. I am on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. Uh, the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. And I would like to give a special shout out to Michelle, who has updated her Twitter bio to include the phrase pop culture polymath. Thanks, Trey. You're welcome, Michelle. Uh... I love each and every one of our four loyal listeners, including the one from Germany who tweeted yeah. out to us. Whoop, whoop. Bye.